The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love that lasts forever know His hope and sure salvation I will trust in Him Oh, the world falls around me I rest and know that He has found me Christ, the rock, is my Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, Pastor is an acrostic which stands for Preaching All Salvation Through One Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Jesus. The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by Scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome to Pastor Yeshua. As stated in an earlier episode discussing types and shadows, when we study all of Scripture, we tend to see that indeed God seems to create all things according to a pattern which testifies of Him. As we continue to look and study the visible and invisible things of creation, we are able to increasingly see God's reflection to some degree in that mirror. When these examples occur within Scripture, we characteristically refer to them as types or shadows. We shall also see that ultimately, as with all Scripture, that these types and shadows point to the substance, which is Jesus. In this episode, we continue our study of the story of Jacob and Esau. As we left off in episode 4, we were unveiling the possible substance to the various types given within the story of Esau and Jacob. As we recap, we see God moving Isaac to bestow God's blessing on the 14th of Nisan. We saw the Holy Spirit tell Rebekah of the timing regarding the proposed blessing. 
We saw Rebekah working with Jacob to find his appointment to this calling and receive God's blessing which God had elected to provide. As Rebekah makes the suggestion and prompting for Jacob to approach his father, Jacob is given the realization that he is not worthy and to approach in his current condition would result in a curse and not a blessing. Just so, we pointed out that all of this situation on Jacob's part matches the situation of all mankind who attempts to approach God for a blessing based on our own merits, works, or ostensible righteousness. Like Jacob, or Adam, or any man, whenever we approach God outside his covering grace, we receive a curse, which is death, which separates us from God so long as we abide outside his covering. Jacob has been given this understanding and vocalizes his realization that he will face a curse given his situation. Like the substance whom Rebekah represents, Rebekah responds to Jacob, telling Jacob to obey her and that the curse will be upon her. Just so, when those who are drawn by the Holy Spirit to repentance from dead works and their own unrighteousness to faith in Christ, the curse of death, sin, and separation fall upon Christ, who is the substance of Rebekah in this matter. Thus, Rebekah, like Christ, will suffer the curse, while Jacob, the type of the sincere believer in Jesus, will receive the blessing, which is eternal life. Proceeding forward, the story continues to demonstrate the mechanism by which the believer approaches God and receives the blessing. In this case, Rebekah obtains Esau's pleasant vestments from her tent where he had left them. As was suggested earlier from the Targums, the pleasant vestments belonging to Esau were in fact the animal skin slain by God in the Garden of Eden to cover Adam's nakedness. If so, then again we have a clear and continuing type pointing to the substance. We have Rebekah, the type of Christ, who is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, procuring this animal skin. This skin is the type of Jesus who laid down his life and was slain so that by his righteousness, his completed work, all who are clothed by grace through faith might then find themselves clothed with his righteousness. Rebekah provides this covering to Jacob in the same way as any who obtain God's blessing will be provided Jesus' covering to receive the blessing from God. Not only so, but to emphasize the type and its substance, Rebekah has Jacob bring the two kids from the flock. In this case, both kids are sacrificed or slain on the 14th of Nisan, just as Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice and propitiation for all sin the same day several hundred years later. Rebekah then takes the skins of the slain kid goats and covers Jacob's hands and neck. This mirrors the substance Christ who provides his propitiatory atonement to cover us. With these various coverings provided by Rebekah, Jacob is now ready to approach Isaac to be accepted and to receive the blessing from God. As we come to the actual encounter between Isaac, Esau, and Jacob, I initially wondered why from the outset that Isaac, 
who is clearly identified as a man of faith, would favor Esau and seem to want to bless him given Esau's obvious sinful nature? I submit that the answer is to be found in the clue given regarding the pleasant vestments. The underlying truth which must remain in focus is that each of our cast of characters, i.e. Isaac, Esau, Jacob, and Rebekah, are sinners. Each man, woman, and child, in fact, are fallen and separated from God. There is absolutely nothing that any of them, or any of us, now or then, can bring to God which will ever merit God's blessing. Instead, we, like Adam, stand naked before God and will continue to do so unless and until God draws us, we repent, and by faith he clothes us with the pleasant vestments of Jesus Christ. In this respect, although the thought is definitely not an enjoyable one, we all are like Esau without Christ. Like Esau, we are in our basic nature having nothing to offer. We, like Esau, fall under the rubric of Romans chapter 3, verse 23. In and of ourselves, we are all no better than Esau. Nonetheless, the theological truth is that Christ's covering grace and righteousness is sufficient for all, but efficient only for those who will, by his grace, be drawn to faith and find themselves clothed in Christ's righteousness. Hence, Isaac, like God, is aware of Esau's rebellion, just as God is aware of our rebellion. Isaac, like God, demonstrates his mercy, giving opportunity to Esau and by extension to all whom will by his grace be drawn and repent. The explanation and understanding of Isaac's leniency towards Esau is perhaps best given by 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Quote, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, unquote. When we come to the wire, God calls for his blessing to be bestowed through Isaac. It was going to be bestowed, as it always had been, by his sovereign will, by his grace, through faith. Lamentably, by the time Esau came to claim it, he had long ago abandoned, or perhaps never received the grace necessary to approach God, covered by faith in Christ. This, I believe, is the substance behind the type, wherein Esau is said to have left the pleasant vestments inside Rebekah's tent. Instead, Esau goes out into the field, the world, with the idea that he will bring back what he can produce with his own efforts, skill, cunning, works, etc. When he does come, he is rejected, and the blessing is given to his brother, Jacob. This result and the accompanying process go hand in hand with the dichotomy of the two brothers, Esau and Jacob. In the first case, Esau is the type of the world, the natural and unregenerate man separated from God. The axiomatic result is according to Proverbs chapter 14 verse 12 and chapter 16 verse 25. 
Quote, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Unquote. Had Esau taken counsel through the example of his fathers, his brother, and by God himself, Esau, like any today seeking God's blessing of heaven and eternal life, would know, as Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, verse 6, quote, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, unquote. Instead, we have the hindsight warning by Paul in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 16 and 17, which provides God's perspective from eternity. Quote, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears." Unquote. Notice the issue is not an ability or desire on Esau or any other man's part. Despite any objective choice or desire which we might imagine having, we are constrained by the inability of our nature to obtain God's blessing based solely upon our own merits. Instead, any potential forgiveness leading to God's blessing is purely an independent act of unmerited grace on God's part. Eventually, in verse 18, Jacob enters into Isaac's presence to obtain the blessing. Bear in mind that while we have been told that Isaac is very old and his eyesight is dim, Isaac has known both of his sons for over half a century. That being said, we read, quote, And he came unto his father and said, My father? And he said, Here I am. Who art thou, my son? Unquote. First of all, notice that Jacob addresses Isaac as, quote unquote, father. Since Isaac only had two sons, this brief announcement would have served to narrow down the list of any potential visitors for Isaac to two. Next, we have the question asked by Isaac saying, quote, Who are you? Unquote. Generally, we attribute this question by Isaac as an indication that Isaac did not recognize Jacob on account of his disguise with the vestments and the skins. However, I personally question this because if Isaac is so old or his eyes are so bad that he has to resort to touching, to know which son is which, then the disguise intended for eyesight alone would be insufficient to fool Isaac. Stated another way, if Isaac's eyesight was that bad, then only his hearing, touch, and taste were in good working order. This being said, anyone could have entered Isaac's presence, and if all he had was vision alone, then it would not have mattered who it was or what they were wearing, because Isaac would not be able to tell. Thus, if all that Isaac had was poor vision, or he was for all intent purposes legally blind, we could understand why Isaac would say, quote-unquote, Who are you? On the other hand, we have Jacob speaking out and saying, quote, My father, unquote. Whereupon, Isaac responds, quote, 
Who art thou, my son? Unquote. With this information, we now must rule out that Isaac did not hear Jacob's announcement, because if Isaac had not heard Jacob call him father, then he could not hardly ask, quote, Who art thou, my son? Unquote. The only option left is to assume that Isaac did not know which son was present addressing him. However, if we fast forward to verse 22, we find Isaac saying, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Unquote. This means that despite Isaac's other limitations of age, Isaac still had hearing which was good enough to be able to discern one son from the other based upon hearing their voices. With all of this being said, we have now run out of answers as to why Isaac would ask, quote, Who art thou, my son? Unquote, if he already knew by the voice that he was conversing with Jacob. I submit that the answer comes in verse 19. Quote, and Jacob said unto his father, I am Esau, thy firstborn. I have done according as thou badest me. Arise, I pray thee, sit and eat of my venison, that my soul may bless thee. Unquote. Here again, the classical understanding is that Jacob is pretending to be Esau. He is going to deceive his father. While I do not argue that this narrative exists, I cannot help but look beyond to see, hear, and learn what, if any, lesson God may have here. In this light, may I suggest that while Jacob is lying, he may also, in another sense, be telling the bitter truth. Namely, if, as has been suggested, that this incident represents the process of repentance and salvation, then surely every person whom God draws to repentance will realize their need for confession and reconciliation. By His grace, those who are called will be drawn to realize by God's grace that we are fallen, we are in rebellion, we have nothing good, no righteousness which we can offer to God. In short, we are Esau, once God draws us to confess that reality, then, and only then, can we move forward to receive the blessing. Thus we see Jacob is the type of those who are called and whom respond by grace, being covered by faith in Christ's righteousness, by which we are able to approach the Father for the blessing. While God knows who we are and what we've done, he asks who we are. By His grace, if we are honest, we cannot say that we are righteous. We are not worthy. We are fallen. We are unrighteous. In reality, we are Esau. In verse 20, Isaac asks, quote, And Isaac said unto his son, How is it that thou hast found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord thy God brought it to me. Unquote. Here, Isaac seems surprised at how quickly his son, presumably Esau, has found the game to produce the venison for his father. When Jacob responds with saying, quote, The Lord thy God brought it to me, unquote, our modern ears might translate this as a euphemism for saying God was with him. 
but the original Hebrew word translated quote-unquote brought literally means quote to cause to meet to cause to happen to me this day unquote paraphrased a better translation in context would be quote because the Lord thy God has ordained it unquote if we insist on using the word quote-unquote brought then the better translation would be quote the Lord thy God has brought it to pass unquote Quote, and Isaac said unto Jacob, Come near, I pray thee, that I may feel thee, my son, whether thou be my very son Esau or not. And Jacob went near unto Isaac his father, and he felt him, and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he discerned him not, because his hands were hairy as his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him, unquote. Above in verses 21 through 23, Jacob makes actual contact with Isaac for the first time. On one level, it appears that Isaac is having difficulty determining whether or not he is dealing with Esau or Jacob. Consequently, Isaac appears confused since Jacob keeps saying he is Esau when the voice is that of Jacob. Obviously, this points out the fact that in addition to moral and spiritual proclivities, as well as the skin differences, i.e. hairy versus smooth, Esau and Jacob's voices differed enough for even an old man like Isaac to discern which was which. Since Jacob knew that his father would likely feel him and discern the difference of skin texture, why did Jacob not foresee Isaac recognizing his voice? Clearly, either difference could give Jacob away and produce the feared curse. So why did Jacob make no attempt to fake his voice? Instead, Jacob relies purely upon the outward appearances. Of course, the traditional view is that Isaac was simply old and unable to discern one from the other due to the deterioration of age. A few people pose the alternate theory that given Esau and Jacob's personalities as well as God's prophecy, that Isaac always intended to bless Jacob and not Esau. The problem was that Esau was first born, and Isaac did not want to hurt Esau's feelings. Supposedly, Isaac and or Rebekah came up with this plan to change the birthright and blessing and provide a plausible excuse which would not make it look to Esau like a personal issue of favoritism on their part. Alternately, Isaac recognized the switch, but went along with it at the 11 o'clock hour as a way of allowing God to have his way. While any of the above may be valid, we cannot rule out the reality that God is sovereignly in control of all things. God knew who was in the tent with Isaac. God knew each of their hearts. God knew the substance of his redemptive plan. Most importantly, if as we believe, the Bible is God's word given as a propositional revelation to demonstrate and articulate at every turn who God is, his love for his own, and our relationship to him. In verse 26 and 27 we read, quote, And his father Isaac said unto him, Come near now and kiss me, my son. 
And he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his raiment and blessed him, and said, See, the smell of my son is the smell of a field which the Lord hath blessed. Unquote. Here again, the traditional reading would lend the idea that Isaac was either smelling Esau's garments or the ram skins, which had the odor of the field. Hence, Isaac was waxing nostalgic for the hunt, for the outdoors, or for the grit and dirt of the field. Perhaps this may be true, however, a look at the Targums may provide a different idea. Quote, and Ishak, his father, said, Draw near and kiss me, my son. And Jacob drew near and kissed him. And he smelled the smell of his vestments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of the fragrant incense which is to be offered on the mountain of the house of the sanctuary, which shall be called a field which the Lord hath blessed, and that he hath chosen that therein his Shekinah might dwell." Unquote. With this we have a bullseye from the type to the substance. Isaac smells the pleasant vestments which are the skins slain by God and provided as a covering for Adam's sins. Upon smelling them, Isaac instantly recognizes what is in front of him. It is a fragrant incense which is to be, notice future tense, offered on the mountain of the house of the sanctuary. As we take time out, you might ask, what is the mountain of the house of the sanctuary? Secondly, we might ask, what is the field which the Lord has blessed? Firstly, I doubt that Isaac would be impressed by the smell of freshly slain kid goat skins. They have an extremely bad smell. Likewise, if there had been some old clothes of Esau's laying about, I don't think that those would be particularly pleasant to smell if they still smelled of the field due to having not been washed. So what is this reference about? If you will recall in the episode entitled, The Bride of Isaac, in Genesis chapter 24, verse 63, we made a study on the following. Quote, And Isaac went out to meditate in the field at eventide, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. Unquote. As you may remember, this statement is made as Rebekah, who was in that case the type of the church, the outcalled ones, first met Isaac, who was the type of Christ. I made the commentary on this verse as follows. Quote, in this verse, Isaac, the type of Jesus, is depicted going out to meditate. The Hebrew word meditate is also translated as speak, converse, or perhaps pray. In this case, Isaac is conducting this activity in the field, which is the type of his creation, the world. Significantly for the chronology of our story type, Isaac's activity in the field happens at quote-unquote eventide. The Hebrew word translated eventide is specifically that time between sunset and deep twilight. Not coincidentally, this period of eventide was later revealed in the Old Testament book of Exodus to be the period during which the Paschal Lamb was slain. Later still, Jesus' crucifixion, which took place during the same time period, formed the substance for this type, unquote. 
Thus, if the pleasant vestments were those originally provided by God to Adam, then perhaps the field in question is that field within the world where the Lord gathers his harvest of the church, as did Isaac with Rebekah, who was earlier the type of the church. Perhaps the commentary goes beyond Isaac and his smelling of earthly garments to God the Father and his smelling of the offering which is herein represented by the pleasant vestments and the kid goatskins which represent his beloved son, Jesus, and his sacrifice. Isaac is discerning into the Holy of Holies in the Lord's sanctuary. This is the place, the mountain, Moriah, Golgotha, where the ultimate propitiatory sacrifice, Jesus, the substance of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, the skins provided by God, the pleasant vestments are offered, which the Lord has blessed. Since God has already blessed those who are covered by Christ's vestments, so must Isaac bless Jacob. Once we, like Jacob, have been so blessed, so too will we be a dwelling place where the Lord's Shekinah glory dwells by faith. For the time being, this concludes this episode. Please join me again for part six. Now, if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. Trust